mighty fortress is our God. What a wonderful truth we can proclaim. Father, thank you for this time this morning. And thank you for your presence here with us. And may we be encouraged and built up as we read from the word of God this morning. And may you be the focus of this sermon, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat if you would. We continue our, our series on what the Bible says about various topics. We'll talk about worship. This will be worship part two. I want to begin by talking about unacceptable behavior, okay? Unacceptable behavior. If you go into a restaurant in, uh, down in Florida, say on the coast, you often find a sign up front that will say, shoes required or no bare feet. Now, you don't have to find signs in, for example, Washington that says no bare feet, but why would you find signs down in Florida on the beach where there is sand, such signs? Well, because it's unacceptable to wear beach attire, i.e. no shoes, in the restaurant. Okay? There are some restaurants, not in Florida but everywhere, where it is unacceptable for men to not wear a tie. Anyone pro-tie here? Because I am anti-tie. I don't like ties. If I don't have to wear, I don't have to. But anyways. Speed limits. The German Autobahn, it is acceptable that there are no speed limits on the Autobahn, right? But in the United States, highways average what maximum limit? Do you know? About 70 miles an hour. It is now 70 miles an hour. In fact, driving through a Montana and other states over when I took Mark there, it was like 80, 85 was in the speed limits. Yeah. But if you go beyond that, that's considered what? Unacceptable. And you run the risk of a speeding ticket if you exceed the maximum. And I know that there's nobody in here that's ever gotten a speeding ticket, right? Language. There's unacceptable language. Here's a true story. I don't know if I told you this or not. If I did, bear with me. I was living in Clarkson, Michigan. I don't know. I would have been nine, about 10 years old, 8 to 10 years old, right around that range, I believe. And we were getting ready to drive down to my parents' place six hours south in a place called Nelsonville, Ohio, my grandparents' place. So the whole family was there, and we were packing, getting ready, and I was done and outside playing with my friends. And the way the house was built, it was like a colonial home. Um, you know, think of the big box. If, if, if you're looking at the front of the house, over here was the, 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 the driveway and the garage. And in front of the garage was the, like the big TV room. And there was a door when you go in the garage, it was attached, and go into the TV room and then into the rest of the house. Well, we were playing around. I don't know what game we were playing. And right, I was right by the door that led into that TV room, and I said to the kids I was playing with, let's get the hell out of here. Unfortunately for me, my mom was right on the other side of that door when I said that, and she heard that. And the door immediately opened. I was caught red-handed, and I got my 
mouth washed out with soap. So you could sit there and shake your head, Judy, because it does not bode well for my mom, because we drove down to Nelsonville, Ohio. My parents were going on to somewhere else, I can't remember where it was, so the four kids were left there. I had ingested so much soap that I got sick, and I was vomiting and throwing up soap, and I was blowing soap bubbles. <laughs> You're laughing at me. Get soap, wash your mouth out, right now, filthy <laughs> mouth. And boy, do I not let my mom forget that. Unacceptable language. You own a business or businesses, corporate America. These are the unacceptable behaviors. They have this, I can't believe, bullying. Really, you have to put that in. A, there's bullying that goes on in corporate America. Harassment of all forms and, of course, inappropriate dress. But I found this last one interesting. If you go to the United Kingdom and go to the University of Cambridge, um, they have a list of unacceptable behaviors. Just listen to some of these things. It's, it's really telling. Um, aggressive or abusive behavior such as shouting or personal insults. How do you enforce personal insults there? Because that's a subjective term, right? Uh, spreading malicious rumors and, or gossip or insulting someone. People get insulted a lot. I like the whole idea of not spreading malicious rumors or gossip, but I'm sure that that happens in a university campus everywhere. Unwanted physical contact, good thing. Stalking, another good thing you don't want, except. Offensive comments slash jokes or body language. So the way you sit in a classroom, I guess, can be an unacceptable behavior. So... Uh, number six, publishing, circulating, or displaying pornographic, racist, sex suggestive, or otherwise offensive material or pictures. Good, unacceptable behavior, very good. Watch this. Isolation, deliberate exclusion, and or non-cooperation at work. So if you're intentionally isolating somebody at work, excluding them, that's unacceptable. How often does that happen at your place of employment? Probably an awful lot. <laughs> okay. Watch this. I, I, and I would submit to you that the people or the person who wrote this list was never married. This is the next one. Persistent and unreasonable criticism. Persistent and unreasonable criticism. Number nine. Coercion, such as pressure to subscribe to a particular political or religious belief. So in other words, you better not share your faith at the University of Cambridge. That's an unacceptable behavior. So whether it's uh, where you eat, or how you drive, or your language, or any of those things, I mean, where you go to school, there are, in our society, unacceptable standards that you just simply don't cross. Well, guess what, folks? Just like us, God has behaviors that he considers unacceptable. And I, didn't, I wonder if you knew this. By far, the most important, unacceptable behavior that he despises, and I chose that word specifically, despises, he hates, is in regard to worship. As you'll see this morning, it becomes a priority for believers to worship God acceptably. 
which implies that you can worship him unacceptably. And so in order to, for us to understand how we, can, what, how we can worship him properly, we need to know what unacceptable worship is. And so let's talk about this for a moment. Unacceptable worship. The Bible gives us a list, four kinds of unacceptable worship found in, in Scripture. Four kinds. The first one, it's obvious, okay? The worship of false gods. Remember the Ten Commandments? You shall have what? No other God before me. Okay? And I don't want you to listen to this, though. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For even though they, meaning the world in us, humanity, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. So in other words, what is a refusal to honor or give thanks to God? What's another word for that? Worship. Honoring God, giving back to God, giving thanks, that's worship. They wouldn't, they refused to worship him. Okay? And they're, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Since they refused to worship God, they instead worshiped idols. Look at that. They exchanged the glory, verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So instead of worshiping God, they worshiped idols. That's what we do. Okay, what about an atheist? They still worship they just worship self. And Paul's point in Romans 1, 21, 23 is that everybody's worshiping something. Everybody worships something. Now the Bible records an extensive list of what humanity worships. I'm not gonna go through all of them, but this first one is really the foundation of all t- forms of false God worship, and it's this right here, and that is self. In Genesis 3, 4, that's the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Satan is saying to Eve, what was the temptation? Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you will become like God. All right? It's wise uh, to check our hearts for this intruder called the God of self so that we're not deceived. Because the God of self can, be, can slip in unnoticed and build a competing throne that is so like the one where God belongs that we are unaware of the switch. We're unaware that we worship the God of self. The God of self reveals itself in will, willfulness, pride, disobedience, and defiance. Generally wanting one's own way. And this idol arises in us when we think we know better than God. We disagree with his word and elevate our own opinion above his. Recently there was, um, when, when pastors do this, and there was a recent story that I know from our pastor area, that on a controversial subject, he switched positions. What, what is very clearly Laid out in the word of God. He doesn't agree with that. He knows better than God. He knows more than God. Ultimately, what's he worshiping then? 
himself, exactly. See, the God of self will gladly worship a God of love, but resists learning about God's other qualities because those qualities demand a dethroning of self. Exalting ourselves and our human opinions over God's infinite wisdom is giving place to the God of self. Now, the God of self is very much active within the church today. Let's listen to these terms. You've heard me say this before. This won't be anything new. Self-help, self-esteem, self-love, and self-fulfillment are topics once left to secular psychologists, but now they are regular themes in mainline and cultural Christianity. You go to a local Christian bookstore, there'll still be a self-help section. That is not the message of Christianity at all. It is that you are incapable of helping yourself. That's why God offers his son, Jesus Christ. He is your help. Okay? You can't do it by yourself. In fact, the Bible says you must die to self or kill self, not love self. In fact, we even may, may, may push away the, 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 the external vices of the world, and we may never bend the knee to a graven image. But folks, if Jesus is not Lord over every area of your life, we are most likely worshipers of the God of self. That means then that these are the result of all these gods in the Bible. There's some that are listed, but you can see them there. Obviously, we can worship material things, wealth, uh, power, a sun god. Diana, remember the story in Acts? They worshiped the statue, Diana. Not Diana like Wonder Woman, but like an actual bull or cow is what it was. We can worship demons that are behind every false god and so on and so forth. So that's the first type of unacceptable worship before God, false gods, you got that? Okay, second unacceptable worship is the worship of the true God through an image. That's pretty simple, right? God said, do not make any graven image of me. In fact, when he appeared on the mountain in, in Mount Zion in Deuteronomy 4, I think it's 14 to 16, he says, when I appeared to you in that mountain, there was no similitude, there was, there was no appearance. There's nothing for you to put in your mind to think that I'm like this. Because God is what? He's a spirit. Okay? So whenever you pray, if whatever image comes to your mind of God, you need to push that image out. Because God is, don't make any graven image of him, okay? God will not accept worship offered to him that is offered in an unaccepted manner, such as reducing God to an image. That's unacceptable worship, okay? Number three, these get harder and harder. Worship of the true God, but your way. And we are guilty of that. In Genesis chapter four, for example, verses three through five, God had no regard for Cain's offering. Remember that story? Because what did God command, obviously? The sacrifice and shedding of the blood of an animal. And what did Cain offer God? Fruits and vegetables and food and stuff like that. He came to God his own way and it was not accepted. In Leviticus 10, one through two, remember the sons of Aaron, the high priest, Nadab and Abihu? They offered a strange fire. They burned incense the wrong way. They offered incense to the Lord that he did not command. And what happened to them? They were consumed by fire. 
unacceptable worship. We must worship God his way and our way. In 1 Samuel 13, King Saul does not wait for Samuel to come. What does he do? He offers the sacrifice, which was forbidden from the king to do. And Samuel comes, sees what's happened, and says, hey, what have you done? This is wrong. So how serious is it to worship the true God your way and not his way? What did God do to King Saul from that moment on? He took away the kingdom from him. He stripped it away from him, and he gave it to who? A man after his own heart, meaning a man who would follow God's commands and obey them. That was King David. Even in Matthew 15, the Pharisees, they questioned Jesus about honoring the tradition of the elders by washing hands before you eat any sort of food. And what does Jesus say? He rejects their argument and says that they substituted what? The commandments of men for the truth of God. Then he quoted Isaiah and said this to them, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines of, the, uh, of God as the precepts of men. And in Jesus' eyes, that was unacceptable worship. So you can worship the true God your way, and in his eyes, it is unacceptable. Today's version of, of worshiping the true God your way is seen as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Most churches now offer an online worship, and there are those who claim they can worship God at home, and they don't need to come and get fellowship. This is blatant disobedience to the clear command found in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. We are not to forsake assembling together. Now, if there are those that have legitimate health reasons, you're fine. But if you know, you're just too lazy, if you just got used to that and you're really not wanting to be here, but you're watching it online, that worship is unacceptable to God. And then we're not even to the hardest point yet about worshiping God that's unacceptable, and it's this right here. You worship the true God, but with the wrong motive. This is a challenge for us. We eliminate all the images of the true God and all the self-styled modes of worship, and we try to follow the scriptures in our worship, but if our hearts aren't right, it is unacceptable worship. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time briefly this morning. So let's talk about unacceptable worship in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, get it out. I'm going to challenge you this morning. If you have a phone, get it out, the Bible app out of your phone. Turn to Malachi, the first chapter. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Basically, go to uh, the Gospel, New Testament and turn left, go back to Malachi. Okay? First chapter of Malachi, starting in verse 6. I'll take you through this verse by verse and explain to you what, what he's saying here. But here you're going to find, as you're, you're going there in the Bible, a people going through the motions of worship whose hearts just weren't into it. And let's be honest, there is no one here, including myself, that is not guilty of this. 
Starting in verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I'm a father, where is my honor? Everybody there? You see that? And if I'm a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? God asks, where is my honor? God claims the priest despised his name. And to this, the priests reply, how have we despised your name? It's apparent that these priests are blindsided by God's accusation. After all, they've been, after all, they've been serving God the way God commanded. Okay? Look at the answer in verse 7. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. Now, the table of the Lord is another phrase for the altar. What in the world were they doing? They were saying that the altar where you would sacrifice the animals is to be despised. They were treating their worship with contempt. It was strictly a routine with no heart. And because of that, they were okay with bringing to God that which was the worst rather than that which was the best. Let me remind you that Having contempt for worship is coming to worship with any kind of wrong attitude. And what were they doing? Look at this, verse 8. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to the governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? See, what they did is they sacrificed the blind and deceased animals for sacrifice because they were useless to them and they were going to die anyways. That's what they brought to God. This is the kind of worship that they offered God, and in God's eyes, it was evil. It was so bad that they were giving to God what they wouldn't give to the government. <laughs> Verse nine, but now will you not en entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? In other words, if this is how you treat God, how do you think God's going to treat you? You think he's going to regard you any different than you regard him? You reap what you sow. Verse 10, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. See, there was no heart or spirit behind their worship, but a dead, lifeless ritual. And that type of worship, God says, I will not accept. He will not accept, this is hard to hear, worship offered half-heartedly. It is unacceptable to him. Verse 11 in fact, he says, if you look at that, verse 10, I wish someone would shut the gates because all these people are coming to me with this improper worship, and I, I, I hate that. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. My name. The totality of all who I am, all my attributes, God says, is great. And I will not accept your impure offerings. God had commanded him to bring the best animals in the flock without spot or blemish. And they weren't going to do it. 
Verse 12, but you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. Profaned it means that they treated it as unworthy or useless. The altar of the Lord, think of that, is defiled or contemptible. Verse 13, you also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Let me remind you, he's talking to the priests here. And the priests were the leaders of this sin. And of course, as the leader goes, so goes the nation. The sin of the priests filtered all the way down to the people. So the entire religious system was rotten. And look at verse 13. How tiresome it is. As a result of their sin, the whole exercise of worship to the people was a waste of time. And because of their sinful condition, they were always having to offer and sacrifice animals, and they reasoned, we have to go down there again and do this? I didn't like it the first time. I'm not going to like it anymore the next time. So they did this. Let's just get rid of that blind lamb or that lame lamb. As they just went through the motions of worship with no heart. Now go to chapter 3 of Malachi. Notice how their attitude gets worse. Starting in verse 13. So far they've just gone through the motions and God looks at the heart and sees everything. Now they're, they're, they're speaking it out loud. Verse 13. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is in vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. They got so sick of worshiping God, they finally began to badmouth God. Your words have been arrogant against me. And their reply reveals their fake attitude. What have we spoken against you? It's as if they're saying, listen, we're doing all the things that you commanded, all the things the scripture says, but God exposes their true attitude. It is vain to serve God because we're not what? Making a profit of it. See that? And you just listen, in chapter four, verses one, verse three, here's the consequences of that attitude. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and evil, every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. I mean, complete judgment. Verse 3, you will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. This is a warning to us, folks. The people of God had come to the place where they were worshiping the true God in the correct way, but with the wrong attitude. And in God's eyes, it is unacceptable worship. Unfortunately, this is not an isolated incident for God's people. 
Take your time and go to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. I thought about putting these verses up there, but it would just been too many slides. So I figured I'd give you a little bit of an Old Testament Bible workout this morning. Amos chapter 5. Now keep in mind that what God, and he does this in Isaiah chapter 1. I didn't put it down Isaiah chapter 1 because it had been too much information for you. But Amos 5 and Isaiah 1 and, and many others the things that God is, the festivals, the, 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 the offerings, the, the animals, the sacrifices, all that, and the festivals and solemn assemblies, those are all things God ordained, God commanded. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind, because look at Amos 5, starting verse 21. I hate, I reject your what? Festivals. The very thing that he had ordained and commanded, he says, I hate those things. Nor to delight in your solemn assemblies. In other words, he's saying this, I can't stand your worship. Verse 22. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings, remember last week, what was the burnt offering? It was the first offering, and all of it was solely to God. It was all offered to God. The priests and the people offering didn't get to eat of it. All of it went solely to God. It says, even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Even though they are worshiping God the right way, i.e., they're offering him not the bad animals or the blind animals or the lame animals, they're offering the fatlings, the good of the animals, the, the fatlings, the good animals. But they're doing it in the right way. Externally, God does not accept their worship. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. I won't even listen to the sound of your harps. Well, why? Verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Since there was no justice and no righteousness in the land, it revealed that their hearts weren't right. Look at what they were doing when offering sacrifice to God while in the wilderness. Verse 25. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness? And what's the wilderness? The Exodus, and then they were in the desert and so on. They're in the wilderness for about 40 years. Oh, house of Israel, verse 26. You also carried along Sikath, your king, and Kian, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. They were worshiping God and worshiping another God. That's the very picture of hypocritical worship. And what were the consequences? Verse 27. Therefore I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. You see, on the one hand, you go through the performance of worship and offer me sacrifices. On the other hand, you're worshiping false gods. We put... I'm assuming nobody here is worshiping a false god, except one. You go through everything here on a Sunday morning, but you worship the god of self the rest of the week. 
You are so in love with the ways of the world, Amos is saying, God is saying through Amos, that that is hypocritical worship and it is unacceptable. Okay? Hosea, chapter 6. So you can find that. I told you this is going to be an Old Testament workout. And you know, the little minor prophets here, it takes forever to find those books, right? I just want you to see this pattern that's just in the Old Testament alone of unacceptable worship. Hosea chapter 6, starting in verse 4. I'll wait for my mother-in-law. She's a little slow. I know everyone else is there. Hosea 6, 4. Ready? Now, Ephraim is another name for Israel, and Judah is mentioned, okay? Just so you know, remembering your, your old Bible history, after King Solomon, what happened to the nation of Israel? Divided. Ten tribes, I think, went north, two went south. Okay? You had Jerusalem and Judah. Okay? So in other words, God's talking to the entire nation of Israel here. Verse 4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? So the entire nation of Israel, what am I going to do with you? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. In other words, their goodness, it didn't stay. It didn't last. They weren't faithful. Verse, verse 5. Therefore I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. In other words, I have cut them down. You know how God cut them down? Through the prophets who spoke his word of judgment. Well, why? Look at verse 6. This is really important to get this, because now we know what God wants. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, or mercy and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And there we are again, those burnt offerings. The burnt offering is a symbol of the act of worship of giving the best solely to God. And what is God saying that he wants more than just a burnt offering? I want you to know me, is what he's saying. And if you would know me, your heart would reflect my mercy. Because God is merciful. So that's unacceptable worship, a sample from the Old Testament. We'll close with this. We'll talk about a, a thought that I've, I've, you know, whenever I write a sermon series or do something like worship, oh, I'll just do one sermon on it and go on the next. And I'm like, I've learned so much about worship these last few weeks. I couldn't get it done in, in one week or two weeks. Well, we'll continue this idea of worship next week because we're just still in the Old Testament. But I want to talk to you about this, which is I discovered this, and it just is really interesting. About worship and destiny, or your eternity. Okay? And this may be new to you about worship. It was new to me, when I, and I saw it in Scripture, but I just didn't register with me. So far, these last two sermons, we talked about the priority of worship, because it really is what our lives are to be centered around. But I want you to allow me a few more minutes to further develop this idea of the priority of worship with this next thought. And that is this, that worship is not something that you add to your life. But rather worship determines your eternal destiny. 
And let that sink in for a moment. What I mean by that is the people who worship God acceptably enter into eternal life. And the people who do not worship God acceptably enter into eternal death. So how you worship reveals your destiny. This is how the Old Testament explains this. In Psalm chapter 24, a little bit easier book to find. Go right to the middle of your Bible. You probably hit the Psalms. Look at verse 24. This will be a direct contrast to everything that I have taught you so far in terms of unacceptable worship. Because you're going to find a worshiper that God accepts. Psalm 24. You also would find this in Psalm 15, but it gives a little more clarity in Psalm 24. But look at what verse 3 says. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? The word stand is key there because whenever you're in the presence of God, what typically does the scriptures teach? People fall down because they cannot be in such presence of holiness. They're overwhelmed with fear and awe. But this is a person that is standing in the holy place. What kind of worshiper is accepted into God's presence? Now we know that God will not accept those who worship false gods or those who worship the true God through an image or those who worship the true God their way or those who worship the true God with a wrong heart motive. But look what verses four to six tell us. Who can stand in his holy hill? Who can stand in his presence? Verse four, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. What's the blessing? It's righteousness and the God of what? His salvation. We're talking about righteousness and salvation. He's given salvation. This is generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. So those who are acceptable to God are the ones who have, number one, clean hands. This means that they have cleansed from impurity. They've been cleansed from impurity by their obedience. Number two, they have a pure heart. They have the right heart motive that manifests itself through righteous speech. Verse three, they're blessed. Receiving imputed righteousness from God resulting in salvation. Think of it this way, take it in reverse. They, they've been given the righteousness of God. They've been saved. It manifests itself, okay, in their words. They have righteous speech, which also manifests itself in what they do. They have what? Clean hands. Clean hands, a pure heart, often the righteousness given to them by God. That is the gospel. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He gives us his righteousness. If it's really taking hold of you, if it's true, your speech and your behavior will be different. Okay? That type of worshiper, God accepts. Now, look at the, turn to the New Testament. We'll close with this this morning, John chapter 4. Because the New Testament has the same idea. John chapter 4. We'll develop this more next week. We talk about worship in the New Testament. And it really is eye-opening This is the, the Samaritan woman at the well. 
John chapter 4, look at verse 23. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, and so this is someone that's acceptable worship, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So God the Father sent his Son to seek and save the lost, right? Got that? Now think about this, but, but for what purpose? that God seek and save the lost. Well, it says right here, because such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. See that? So in other words, the reason why you're saved, the reason why you're redeemed, it's not just to save you from spending eternity in hell, paying for your sins, but primarily so that you can and will worship God acceptably. He's seeking worshipers. See that? And specifically, people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So I want you to see that the goal of salvation is to produce acceptable worshipers. This is why worship is so important. And so, as you examine your worship to see if it is acceptable or unacceptable, you can understand whether you're saved or not. So acceptable worship becomes a key to understanding salvation. To look into your heart. You know, maybe you don't worship false gods. Maybe you don't worship God by reducing him to an image. <clears throat> maybe you don't worship God selfishly, you know, your way, and not his way. <coughs> but ask yourself, Am I worshiping God with all my heart? Am I giving God in my worship my best? I mean, if you're a morning person and you're trying to spend time with God at night and you're just struggling to stay awake, are you giving God your best? Or vice versa, you could be a, morning, a night person and you try to spend time in the morning because you think that's what you're supposed to do and you just can't stay focused and you don't really wake up till noon anyway, it seems like. And spend time with God, worship him when you have energy and can give him the best. And so when it comes time to God, or comes time to give to God, do I give him the best? I mean, in, in your worship, is your heart filled with awe and reverence? Those type of worshipers are the ones who worship in spirit and in truth. And those are the type of worshipers that God seeks. Acceptable worshipers. Think about that this week, okay? So it's very simple. Examine your worship. How you worship. And it's not necessarily a time thing, but examine your worship. Is it acceptable to him? Because you know what is unacceptable to worship to him. Because of all of those things in the Old Testament still apply in the New Testament. False gods, graven images, worshiping God, the true God your way and worshiping the true God the right way but with the wrong motive. They all apply to us today. And let's pray. Pray. And let's close with a song. Please stand with me. Heavenly Father, as we are learning more and more about our worship of you, may our worship be pleasing to you, be acceptable to you. 
Lord, teach us how to worship you in a manner that is pleasing, that is acceptable, and that if need be, may your spirit convict us of those areas of our lives that impede our worship and make it unacceptable. May we put to death the God of self, that false God that, that can so easily gain a footing and control of our lives and not even, we not even be aware of it. So teach us as we examine our hearts how to worship you in spirit and in truth. And all God's people said, amen. amen.